0: All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, if you have an electrical Bible or whatever, you want to do that as well. Um, today we're going to cover a big story. It's a story after one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. <clears throat> if you can have favorites, I do. It might sound sacrilegious, but I got favorites. Sorry. Um, And so this is one of my uh, favorite parts of Scripture. It is one of those times in Scripture where God seems to just be showing off. And things are happening that you're like, what in the world? I remember, I was probably seven years old, the first time I ever um, heard this story, six or seven years old, in children's church with my mama teaching. I believe this is the story where the candle exploded and caught a Bible on fire and we had to run one of the fifth graders inside because we were outside for some reason, good thing with the flames, and get a fire extinguisher. I remember that because the candle just exploded on me. Um, and it's still one of my favorite. I don't, I'm not like scarred from it. I didn't talk to my counselor or anything about that. Um, but this is an amazing scripture. Uh, right after, Elijah calls fire down from heaven to consume the sacrificial bullets. This, uh, if you want to have... Like, this is the sports arena, manly type. If you're a guy and you're going, I don't really like the Bible, it's all frou-frou-y, read this uh, 18 and 19 together. You go, oh, it's a little bit different. Uh, what happens is uh, there's this kind of battle going on between the prophets of Baal and, and <coughs> Elijah, the prophet of God. And what goes on there is Elijah wins the battle, is the Cliff Notes version. You can read it on your own. Uh, but this is what we're going to talk about today is immediately after this huge win, immediately after this, this epic spiritual confrontation between um, these really nasty kind of religions and between and the, the prophets of them and the prophets of God and what it looks like. We are concluding a series on prayer. We've kind of examined different aspects of prayer and different people in the Bible who have been praying and what that means for us. Uh, we're going to conclude that today. And I'm, I'm excited about what, what that all has for us. We've been talking about our first response to any situation should be prayer, uh, not our last resort. So often we try everything on our own power. We try everything we can throw at it, money or counselors or, or anything else. We throw at it and hope that sticks. And then if all those fail, that's when we start praying and we get them in the wrong order. Praying first should be our prayer. Pray as our first response, not our last resort. And for some of us, that's good. And for some of you, I know you've been asking this question. But Jared, I, prayer is my first response, but I sure feel like I need a last resort. Like it doesn't seem like it's working. If we're really honest, it's like yeah, I pray, I pray, I pray. I've been working on the prayer thing, been doing that, but I'm. <clears throat> I'm needing a last resort. And so we're going to kind of focus in on that because Elijah and his life is dramatically right there in that last resort aspect. He believes he's the only prophet of God left. He believes he's the only person still a Yahweh worshiper in the world. Could you imagine? We feel persecuted. You're like, oh, man, our country's going down the wrong tubes. It's not a Christian nation anymore and all our negative thoughts. Yeah, could you imagine if you're like the only Christian left, what that would feel like. So he's, he's the only guy that, well, in his mind, he's the only guy who's standing up for God. He's the only guy who's doing anything um, with Yahweh. And he is really, really, really hurting in these aspects. And so this big, huge spiritual event happens. And then a woman gets involved and it goes downhill from there. Before we get to that, because, man, I'm glad my wife works in the back. Uh, Amen again. Prayer is never, it's recorded. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Prayer is never about getting what we want. It's always about drawing closer to God. Prayer is never about getting what we want. It's always about drawing closer to God. We have this fictitious notion in our head that prayer sometimes is this cosmic slot machine. If we put enough quarters in, three apples. Hoorah! We got it, right? And so we just keep on feeding the machine, and that's not what it's about. We don't keep on feeding it until we get what we want. It's about, always about drawing closer to the heart of God. Getting what we need is a side effect of drawing closer to God. Not what we want, but getting what we need is a side effect about drawing closer to the heart of God. Now for this woman I was talking about. 1 Kings 19. Now King Ahab told Jezebel, the queen, also known as the wickedest woman in the history of mankind, uh, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She puts a hit out on him. So the most powerful woman in the land, he is now the FBI's most wanted. He is now top of the list, the top of the hit list. Kill Elijah. Everyone is looking for Elijah to kill. It's a bad day right? It's a bad day when you make that list. And so this is directly after this huge victory over all the prophets of Baal. and A huge, spectacular event where fire has fallen down and consumed a bull. And they've been like, "Hmm, my God's bigger than your God. That just happened. And now there's a hit on his life. He was thinking, oh, if I do this, now everything's going to change. The whole, you know, the country's going to change. Jezebel's going to be like, Oh, of course I was wrong. My gods are, are, are not real. Your god's the one that's real. That's what he was thinking. But no one's ever, you know, persuaded that easily, are they? So that's what's going on. Elijah now is public enemy number one. So Elijah does what I think a lot of people would do. He was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, this is not like jungle wilderness. This isn't wilderness of uh, trees and harsh landscape. This is the desert plus some. Okay, this is just nasty area. You don't really want to be here. A tree for shade is about this tall. Okay, it's, it's just a barren, barren, nasty area. Um, and that is what's going on here. It's kind of like Utah, but less hospitable. excuse me he went on a day's journey into the wilderness he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die you're having a bad day when that happens I have had enough Lord he said take my life I'm no better than my ancestors he lay down on the bush and fell asleep he's given up and he just runs away for a day he just gives up he just runs away Goes away. That's that's what his his solution to the problem is. And now my solution to the problem is quite similar to that. That's one of my first responses. I don't know if it's the only childness in me or what it is, but if I have a big issue, things are going on, just let me be by myself. I'm going to get away from this. And and that's I understand that. But he just curls up under a bush. It's kind of like going in your man cave and sulking. It's going doing whatever you do when bad news happens. Just kind of. You know, crying in your milk, whatever it is. He's having a bad day and he's fully invested in this bad day. And he just goes and, and sulks in his own depression. We're going to talk about how to deal with that here in a second. But there's a few things I think that correlate to our own life. Elijah forgot what God did the day before. And it's easy for me to blame him and go, What are you thinking? But I do the same thing. We forget what God just did for us because of our present situation. Our memories are that of like a fly, a goldfish, Dora, Dory on uh, Finding Nemo. We forget what God just did. Do you remember? And you, God has to be thinking, boy, I just giving me a headache. If God got a headache, Elijah would have given him one, I think. We have spiritual amnesia, and it leads us to bad places. Our spiritual amnesia of where, where was God? What, how did God, where are you now, God? So we give the cosmic, like the boss answer. What have you done for me lately? Well, yesterday I did this. Well, What are you going to do tomorrow? It's all we want from God. It's like a, um, it's this unrealistic expectation. He's like, did you not see the beauty and the miracle that I just did? Elijah's stuck in this low place. And from this low place... He starts the process of reconnecting with God. He starts the process of getting out of this bad spot. And that's what I want to talk about today. He has a prayer life. Prayer is his first response to things. But what happens when the first response seems to not be um, guarding your heart well enough or or forming? It's just not working. What what does it look like to have the Hail Mary? So how are we going to do the last response and do it well. First of all, Elijah in desperate times, he gets alone. He gets alone. I think this is important. So many times in our lives, when we're going through... Now, having community around us is a huge part of what life groups do here at the church and what the church is all about. We just did a child dedication where we want to be around you guys when you go through the hard things of raising a kid. That is what we are here for. But sometimes we just have to extract ourselves from the situation because all the voices around us, all they do is distract us. All they do is keep us from the truth. By being alone and pressing into God, we actually can get the truth. You notice this maybe sometimes with your family members or with your friends. It's like, oh, duh, 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 this is happening. Oh, yeah, that person's terrible. That's a horrible. They just agree with you, and they tell you what you, need to, what you want to hear. When really, no, no one stands up and says, yeah, but um, did, you, did you think about this? Well, I don't want to listen to you. You're not invited anymore to my pity party, right? And so we, we, we do these things, and we only get around people who are going to say the things that we want to hear, or... The total verse, some of us are in situations where things are going bad, but everyone's just saying the negative into us. We're like, oh, apparently I am worthless. I didn't know this. We just have to to sometimes extract ourselves from the situation and get alone and get with one who actually can tell us the truth, who is God. He gets alone. All at once, an angel touched him and said, this is underneath the, the broom bush, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head were some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank them and lay down again. He's still pretty cranky. God just provided supernatural food for him. And he's like, I don't even care. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. All right, everybody who has their Bibles open, even if you are not a Bible highlighter or writer inner, you need to write in your Bible on this one. Underline, the journey was too much for him. The journey is too much for you. The journey back to God is too much for you. We try to do this on our own. We try to do this by ourselves all the time. We, we force this relationship, but the journey is too much. Getting back to a better place, getting back to a, a right place with God, a right place in ourselves, when we are fully fallen into depression and fully fallen into the bad things of life, the journey is too much for us. We have to take and eat. And it's really important that we take and eat of the good things we take and eat of what God has provided for us. So often when we fall into depression and we fall into these bad spots, we fall into these, these hard moments, but we, what are the first things we cut out? We cut out Bible reading. We cut out, cut out prayer. We cut out going to church. We cut out all the very things that would feed us the stuff that would give us the sustenance and the strength for the journey. The journey is too much for you. Get up and eat. Instead of filling ourselves with the very things that will sustain us, we want to crawl under a bush and whine. I'm guilty of this. I'm not preaching at you, I'm just telling you how I even act. But when we find ourselves in these, in these bad spots, I remember in the hardest time in my life that I've experienced so far, I remember I could not even open the, I didn't want to open the Bible. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to do any of these things. My prayer was like one sentence just repeated over and over again. That's, that's all it was. It was just prayer. I got one sentence, God. That's all I can do. But I needed to step into the sustenance that God has for us. Second thing he does is, in desperate times, he fasts. So that for 40 days, he gets this big spiritual meal. He gets this food from the angels. And then he goes 40 days and 40 nights without eating again. This is why the journey is going to be too much for him. He is, he is eating the spiritual food, and he's going to go on a journey for 40 days and 40 nights. i got some uh, pictures up here. I, wanted, I want you to show you where these, uh, um, this journey is going. This... Uh, it's too small for me. Can you see this? Up at the top, dot. I need a laser pointer. That would make me feel really cool right now. Uh, the, the laser pointer up here. Um, there's a dot at the top and a blue line all the way down to the red dot down here. Do you guys see that? This is a map of Israel. This is where, uh, thank you. Good job, guys. Uh, Mount Carmel, where the battle royale between um, the prophets of Baal and the prophet of uh, Elijah happened, is way up here at the top. Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, um, they're the same place, if you're confused by that, Uh, just transliterations of Hebrew, Uh, but they're the same place, is all the way down here. It's a 40-day journey. The journey is too much for you. Does that look very lush to you? Does that look very, you know, I want to go on vacation there. There's no green anywhere. This is the journey that he's going to take all the way down to Mount Sinai. And there's more about that. Um, He fasts. What is fasting? It is the taking away of distractions. In Jewish culture, fasting really, you know, in American culture, fasting is like a four fast is, it's a four letter word. Don't you tell me I can't eat. But me and my father are that Snickers commercial. Right. We don't eat for about 15 minutes. I turn in Aretha Franklin. It's really funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Jimmy knows. I start like doing this, this dance thing. He's like, you need to go eat, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm tired of waiting on you. <laughs> so we go, we go to Burrito Rico and get that taken care of. Fasting is a dirty word. Fasting is, oh, I can't deprive myself of anything. In American culture, we can't say, oh, I can't have that. I got to have instant access to everything. I got to have instant food. I got to have instant information. I got to have instant everything. Fasting is the taking away of all that stuff. In Jewish culture, this is really interesting. When I was doing a study of fasting, I also started doing a study of, of the food laws and how, of the kosher laws of how everything has to be prepared in Jewish society. And for Jews, fasting from food wasn't just not eating, it was taking a break from the whole daily routine. Kosher laws made everything more complicated, right? If you've done the Daniel plan with us, if you've done uh, some clean eating or whatever, and you have to look at all the ingredients and make sure that there's no preservatives and all the, these type stuff, you kind of know what I'm talking about. It takes an extra five steps, and you're like, can't eat that peanut butter, can't eat that peanut butter, can't eat that peanut butter, can't eat that peanut butter. 30 minutes later, oh, I found one. You know, and it's just going on and on and on. This is how the Jewish life of preparing these meals every day was, that we were like, oh. Okay, uh, for the next four hours, I'm going. I have to clean this dish and make sure this is right, and these two things can't touch. And oh, you got all these things. So if you're fasting, you don't have to worry about any of that because you're not eating. It doesn't matter if the fork didn't get cleaned today in the right way because you're not using the fork. Does this make sense? So it was a it was a releasing of your whole daily routine to do what? To concentrate on God. And so fasting's not just for us, like, oh, I fasted a candy bar, you know, that one day, that one month. Woo! I'm closer to God now. Right? It it didn't cost us anything, but what fasting is, is redirecting and taking away all the distractions. And so for you, what that that might mean, I don't know. What that is, that's taking away Facebook, because I guarantee you, if you have Facebook, it's a huge distraction in your life. Maybe it's leaving your cell phone off. Maybe it's, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is not eating for a while. Maybe it is taking out this or that or video games for some of us. Maybe it's, I, you fill in the blank, knitting. I don't know what, what you do. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't get away. Um, but fasting is taking away these things. So, what, what happens and how that works is that every time you go, oh, I really wish I could eat right now, I really wish I could do X right now, you instead turn your, eye, turn your attention towards God. That's all, that's all it is. It's, it's like not going, oh, woe is me, I'm so hungry, I haven't eaten for five minutes, I'm starving. No. It's, okay, I turn my attention to God. Jesus talks about this in the New Testament. Don't start wailing and whining about fasting, just turn your attention towards God. That's how we can do it, and that's what he's doing. He's preparing himself on this long journey for 40 days. He he has eaten from God. He's eaten deeply two whole meals divinely supplied from God, and now he's time to clear his head. For 40 days, walking in the desert, you got time. It's a seven-hour drive in a car. So it's basically from here to, you know, north Georgia, to Tennessee. And so he's walking. And walking some more, and walking some more, and walking some more. And so every time he feels that pang of hunger, every time he's like, man, it would be really nice to have a cheeseburger right now. He can't have a cheeseburger if he's following kosher laws, by the way. I learned that when Israel ordered a cheeseburger at Burger King, they're like, no, I was so disappointed. At least I didn't order a bacon cheeseburger. That would have been naughty. (laughs) But he's thinking about this. So every time he takes a step, he's like, oh, whatever. Okay, he's focusing in on God. So for 40 days of intense fasting and prayer, after he's been in this depression mode, after he's been in this, I want to curl up under a tree and die, he's been in contact with God. He's been in contact with God. Where is he going? He is going to Mount Sinai. Think about that. This blew my brain this week when I, when I read it. I'd never noticed this before. I've written paper upon paper on this passage. Like, there's probably 100 pages of worth of master's text that I've written on this page. I'd learned this this week. I never noticed that he was going to Mount Sinai. He's going back to the where God has shown himself before. He's going back to where the Ten Commandments were come down. Tradition holds that Mount Sinai is where the burning bush was as well. He's going back to where God has been made himself clear before. For 40 days, he's walking there. 40 days, he's going back. He's like, I got to get closer to God. I got to get closer to God. I got to get closer to God. I'm, the journey is too much for me, but I got to get closer to God. In desperate times, he pursues God. Just show a picture of uh, Mount Sinai up there for me so we have a Um, This is one side of Mount Sinai. I believe this is um, the building. If you could dim the lights again, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, There is, of course, some touristy stuff there, and I think there's a a monastery there. This is traditionally what Mount Sinai is. We don't know if this is actually the mountain of it, but it helps you kind of get a frame of reference. See how desolate it is? This isn't like, you know, Yosemite or... Yellowstone, this is, this is um, not a tourist attraction. This is the place he's headed. He is des- in desperate times, he pursues God. He is coming from one mountaintop experience. He gets beat down, and he starts to head to, his hol- uh, to a holy place. He turns his direction towards a place where he knows God can be found and Where people have found him before, he doesn't reinvent the wheel. I think sometimes when we are in a bad spot, we find, think that we have to find our whole new way to God. We have to reinvent this whole experience, and we have to—it's got to it's be this heavy lifting experience. And God's just saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I've been here before." And he just heads back to where he's—no, he's, God has God has been experienced before. I found that this week, and that blew my my mind. When he walks into Jesus, or walks into God at the mountain, the Lord comes to him and says, "What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing?" I don't know if this is a test. I don't know what it is, but God God's words. After forty days and forty nights of fasting and walking to the thing, He says, "What are you doing here?" I don't know the inflection in God's voice. I don't know if it sounds like James Earl Jones or. What are you doing here? Uh, I don't know that. But he replies, this is Elijah speaking. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. Now this is interesting, because he spent 40 days praying. He has spent 40 days fasting. And he's like, I'm trying to pursue you, God. And he's still in that same depressed mode. So the fasting didn't necessarily fix it. The praying didn't necessarily fix it. He's still cranky. Rightfully so. I mean, he's had a bad day. I I will say, people trying to kill you puts a damper in your day. But in his desperation, I think this is important for us because we need to feel released to do this. In his desperation, he vents to God. He vents to the appropriate authority. I like this is, there's a scene in Saving Private Ryan when all the guys are around and they're, they're whining to the captain. And they're like, Captain, who do you, who do you complain to? And he goes, my complaints go up, not down. I don't, I don't complain to you, I complain up. That's how it works. And it's the same thing here. I think we need to kind of get that. We complain down. We complain to people around us. We complain... Uh, to our family members, I complain to the dog. The dog is not going to help me. Joy and all of her love and gorgeousness, and she's always with me to the end of days because she's with me whenever I wear a black something. But her joy is not going to fix my issue. I complain to people that have no authority, no power to help. Elijah is at least venting, telling his heart to the one who can do something about it. In our lives, when we're, when we're talking, it feels like God is the last person. We almost want to hide our emotions, like we're going to disappoint God or we're going to hurt his feelings if we don't tell him how we really feel. We have to church it up. And oh, thou with art, we become you know, 16th century English all of a sudden. Art so greateth. Now, wait a minute. Are you telling me your heart? Are you telling me? He vents. He says, here it is. I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. I spent 40 days with you. I've been walking. I got some blisters. I'm still cranky. Too many of us spend a lot of time complaining about our situation to the very people who either cause the situation, are powerless to change it, or don't even care. When we vent, let us vent to God. Take it to the one who can do something about it. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said again, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's like, I, <laughs> I've been very zealous for you, Lord, O God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put the prophets to death with a sword, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord says to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimish king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat and Abel Meloha to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In desperate times, he listens to God. It had been very easy for me. I see the huge, I mean, the special effects are happening. The wind comes, the earthquake, the fire. Okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> you know, okay, whoa, and we leave. We experience God, and we leave. We experience the we experience the moment. Oh, my heart got filled back up. You are God. Okay, we got it, and we leave. What Elijah does, which is probably is so important, more important than probably the fasting and the, and the praying and all these things, he listens, he waits in that moment for God. We are such in a hurry to have a quick fix to our, to our issue, to our problem, to all that, that we're like, okay, I got it, I'm out. And God's like, well, it's, I had a purpose for you, and I was going to redirect this, and the whole point of you going through all this pain was right here on the tip of my tongue, but yet, okay, you, you're gone. And so when he pulls him out, when he's down there at Mount Sinai, Elisha is just flabbergasted by all this, and he sits and waits. He's listening for God, and God says, gives him the purpose for the rest of his life. In his desperate times, he listens. He stays and listens to God after he has experienced him. And this, to me, just blew me away to think about it. He slows down enough to listen to what God has for him. And this is a beautiful... I mean, this directs the steps of Elijah for the rest of his life. Instead of sitting under a bush, wishing he would just die, he has a clear and direct path of everything he's supposed to do for the rest of his life. He doesn't get there if he doesn't go through the wilderness. He doesn't get there if he doesn't go through the 40 days of the journey walking, being hungry, being cranky, going through all that, until he is totally broken down and humble. He's not ready for this new purpose. He thought that the moment that the battle between Baal and God was going to be the most important time of his life, it's just a footnote to the rest of it. It was just a starting point. I wonder if on our own lives and in the way in which we live. Some of the things that we think were the greatest parts of our life, if they were really just a starting point. What is our response? If you find yourself in this desperate place, and we all will be there, and we probably all have been there, we need to take time to vent to God. Take time to pursue God. Take time to listen to God. Take time to get away. Take time to break the norm. If you look in the New Testament and how Jesus responds to big-time adversity, he follows the same pattern. He fasts. He gets away. He goes somewhere out in the wilderness. He doesn't ever go all the way down to Mount Sinai, but he does get away, walks away from it all. And I just think that's amazing that this is the repetition that is instilled in spiritual men and, and through the Bible, and that we can replicate the same thing. We can do it ourselves. We can take time to vent. We can take time to pursue, to listen, to get away, to break from the norm. We can follow in their footsteps. Today, some of you are hidden under the broom bush, and you're just asking God, can I die? Can this be over? When God has something so much more spectacular for you, so much bigger than what you think. Not to take away all your issues. Jezebel's still trying to kill him. That didn't go away. But set him on a new purpose, a new plan, something greater than he could ever imagine. Today we're going to take communion. I think it's really appropriate that we take communion today because the journey. Is too much. And so as we take communion today, we get to take the sustenance of the body and the blood of Christ to sustain us for this journey. So as we take these elements, this cracker and this grape juice, as we partake in them, Let us think about our journey. Let us think about where we're at. Are we we stuck underneath that broom bush? Are we stuck in a place that we don't want to be? Can this be the the food, the love of God, the, the presence of God in our lives to sustain us through what's going on, what's going to come up, all the things that we're dealing with? Here at Shorewood, we practice open communion. Which just means if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take part in communion with us. Um, We don't check cards or do anything like that. You are more than welcome to take uh, part in it with us. The guys will be passing it out right now. And uh, you will be free to take communion sometime whenever you're done reflecting through this next song. So I will not come back up and, and, and show the... The elements to you, it will be of your own time. Um, Give me one of these, real quick, please. Thank you. This body and this blood of Christ, the symbol of what he did for us, is this meal that Elijah partakes is the same that we get to partake in. That it is a sustaining divine meal. Where in Jesus sacrifices himself and, and shows his disciples, eat this, drink this, and remember me. That when we take this, we get to ponder. We get to remember what God, all that God has done for us. How he's shaping us and how he won't leave us alone when we find ourselves under the bush in desperate times, in depression, when God is our last resort, we remember that God will never forsake us. There's no limit to what he will do for us. That he loves us and he cares so much for us that he sends his very son to die on the cross for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything you've done. God, as we take these elements, have us sustain our spirit. Have us sustain our mind. Have us sustain our soul. Lord, we love you. We praise your name.